Welcome, friends, Romans, compartes, and welcome to Chef London Week. And if you think you know movies, oh boy, howdy. But before we get into the filmmaker who has made more movies than I ever have, we need some uh, film buff friends to experience the wonder with, and I have just the two with me tonight. First up, she likes David Lynch and David Busters. It's Amelia. <laughs> I do like David Lynch, though. Um, hello. I can be found at your local cof- uh, bookstore coffee shop discussing the latest film cinema. Uh, I am Amelia, and I can be found at the Nefarious Navigator. Next up, we have the person who puts the sense in listens less it is Ro yes hello my name is Roger Ebert and I have opinions <laughs> I'm your host queer film theorist and art appreciator Nate Okich and then Cape Summer is the first film from auteur gay filmmaker Jeffrey Montgomery London who resides in Arizona the London of America or at least I think that's where he is we don't actually know. So let's get, just give a brief rundown of what happens in this film. Actually, What doesn't it, happen in this film? <laughs> actually, it is nigh impossible to cover the minute, subtle intricacies of the plot of this film, so I will just be reading off the back of the DVD. You, dear audience, will have to experience this masterpiece for yourselves. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. <laughs> Why would you do that to them? A reunion of family and friends becomes an unforgettable vacation when two teenage boys discover their secret feelings towards each other, only to have the secret exposed by a family member who threatens to tell. The relationship leads to denial and self-worth issues from each boy. As the story unfolds, others in the family learn of deep dark secret hidden for years, and the truth is finally to be discovered. Life was once simple, and then came summer. I should also mention for those who want a physical copy of this DVD, sometimes the DVDs that arrive are not playable in traditional DVD players. Please be aware of that and also get it online. So, can I just say that I have seen all of Gay Autor filmmaker Jeffrey Montgomery London's films multiple times uncoursed, and I think I speak for everyone, that is me, when I say this film is no less than genius. Wouldn't you two agree? No. <laughs> I don't know if genius is quite the word that I would use. Barely. This film is... This film is is a film, and that's all it, about about all I can say. <laughs> um, to to get us started, I I want to talk about the mise en scène, how Jeff London designs this world, and our connection to it and the characters. I I think you need to look no further than the first scene where Davod wakes up and his little brother remarks that he was snoring to really get a uh, a sense of the the humanist and and realist. Uh, philosophy that went into the creation of this world that seems almost unrealistically real like it's some kind of (laughs) valley where the uncanny things happen (laughs) i'm having a really hard time keeping a straight face right now (laughs) me too i i find it fascinating the title and then came summer just you know just say it for me like put it into the ether let's all do it together and then came summer 
And then or not. The way way it implies a disturbance of the status quo. Everything was one way and then came summer. I I, I would like you to to elaborate on this theme. (laughs) Um summer happened and then things were different. Well, you know, I think really what the author Oh, Autour of this film was trying to say here. <laughs> um, oh because we start off in, you know, the springtime where where things are new and um and and everything is uh being discovered and rebirthed, right? And it goes into the summer season after the fact where you're more comfortable and warm in your own ba- body and um and identity, you know. Uh, truly, truly a deep meaning to this title. I, I think I understand what you're saying. And I, li- I like to uh, re- restate it using an example from this. Oh, I don't feel comfortable calling it a film. Uh, let's call it like a cinematic experience. <laughs> uh, there is a scene revolving around a penny, a very robust piece of common Americana, if you will. A, a symbol, if you will. Let us pretend that the penny is Davod and, and soft, and the train that flattens them is the emotions, the, the homosexuality and feeling they are suppressing. And, and thus, by letting them build and build, the penny becomes flat, a distortion of who Davod and Seth once were. In other words... Genius. I hate this so much. I want it to stop. Um, this film is terrible. Please don't watch uh, it. A tangent. I have. I actually. That that ties into something because like film viewing is very subjective. And so I have a tangent. If you will. Um, so there's this band called the Shags that uh, Frank Zappa said of them. They are better better than the Beatles. Uh, Kurt Cobain of the band Nirvana listed their album as his fifth favorite of all time. And it's a band of young girls who were forced by their father to form a band because he had a premonition from God. And a fortune teller once told him that if he, if he forced his girls to be in a band, they would become famous and successful. I should also mention they were not taught how to play their instruments before they recorded their first and only album. Uh, I'm going to make an outlandish claim here. Jeff London is the shags of queer cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff London is not bound by the limitations of the rules of cinema, and so what we are seeing is a pure, undistilled form of storytelling utilizing the medium of the moving image arts, which can only be achieved by someone with the ambition of a master artist, but hampered by not having the means to fully realize his vision. It's like watching oh, a rough draft of the greatest film ever made, Eric Vallette's 2010 magnum opus, Super Hybrid. I would go out on a limb and say that if you gave Jeff London more money, this film would be an even bigger train wreck. <laughs> you know, I, I truly felt, though, that the screenwriting in this film, you know, the dialogue, it was so moving. And uh, it, it just kept you, you know, guessing at every step. Um, of the way, you know, oh. would would David's brother out him to his parents? Uh, would would Seth go back 
to the uh, to the to the conversion therapy? What was going to happen? I know where you're. I going. I was riveted. I I I think I know where you're going with this. There's this one scene that speaks volumes to me and showcases the overall humanity and disinterest we as humans have when it comes to the discussion of hard topics. Indeed, this scene's dialogue transitions from a discussion of a dead sister-in-law to a divorced parents to divorced parents before settling upon aliens, showcasing humanity's desire to try and empathize with each other, and then harshly change the subject when the when we feel unequipped to really handle or discuss human emotions. Similarly, this gives Soth a chance to connect more with Davad, since he wants to become an astronaut, something revealed later into the film. Please send help, I'm in hell. I'm in actual movie hell. I feel like we're holding Ro hostage. <laughs> I think I'm not, I, I think I'm not having really a good. fun time at the pool. <laughs> Please get me out. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> I think what I think what Ro is trying to say is that it's fair to call this film brave uh, for exploring wounded masculinity through Brian and Tommy's friendship that has been strained but heals throughout the movie. By dedicating time to these individuals, we begin to question the role of traditional masculinity in society when the male heads of the household have to take on the role of caretaker, a role more formally given to the woman. The sensitivity gives way for a deeper connection and bond between the two, much like the play Hamlet, another symbol in this film. Indeed, this film shows only by shedding the toxicity of traditional ma- <laughs> the tox- <laughs> The toxicity... <laughs> You could do it, Nato. I believe in you. <laughs> the toxicity of traditional masculinity can man truly form lasting and amiable bonds with each other. Honestly, though, possibly a better example is the spin-off of Hamlet, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, whereby the underlying question of that film is, when are they going to do it? <laughs> um, my dear audience, you can see that this movie is terrible by how Badly, NATO is avoiding trying to talk about it. <laughs> truly, though, truly. I, I disagree with you. Like, the electroshock therapy scene, for example, is a perfect choice for displaying the shock that it stills into our characters because shock is in the name of electroshock therapy and leaves the room shocked. Oh God! Why don't why don't that scene read so much like a shitty soap opera to me? It was so bad. It was so bad. But I, all all of it was so bad. This movie, this entire movie, reads like a shitty soap opera. Except it I really can turn does. on a soap opera and watch it and be amused by it. I I think we've talked enough about the themes of this movie. We need to get more into the other aspects of the mise en scene, as it were, like uh, the perfect piano soundtrack, which adds a minimalist ambiance to lull you into this world of sadness and loss. In fact, the central theme of this movie, sorry to bring up theme again, but the central theme of this movie is 
Moving on from loss. And since we all associate the Sarah McLaughlin piano theme in the arms of the Angels with funerals, Jeff London masterfully uses the score as an interlude to allow you to process the information you've just received like a weeping relative reliving all the good times they had with their now-deceased friend, companion, pet, or family member during a funeral. I would watch, I would rather watch sad puppies than watch this movie again. <laughs> you you would rather watch puppies dying. Than this movie. Uh, yeah, I would rather watch those sad puppy commercials with Sarah McLaughlin in the background than watch this movie again. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it it um. It was not good. <laughs> the acting was terrible. Like, for starters. I think if you if you judge this film based on other films that we have seen, certainly it is worth in, worse in some aspects. But you have to remember that this is a undistilled, purest form of storytelling. Where so, nothing happens. <laughs> things do happen, but much nothing like nothing happens until everything happens. And right, after it's that, like nothing happens again. <laughs> much like a realist interpretation of real life, and since this is based on actual film, actual events, then it it would make sense that not a lot happens. This is more a slice of life if the slice was actual life and written verbatim on what happened. <laughs> With some of the fakest, most terrible fake crying I've ever seen in my life. My God. <clears throat> like, at Sorry. one point, I'm my pretty God. sure Tommy... <laughs> at one point, I'm pretty sure, like, uh, Tommy, I think... Yeah, I think it's Tommy, like, is sitting there, and it's like a close-up of his face while he's trying to fake cry, and, like, you can see him trying to will a tear out. <laughs> and it just ain't coming. <laughs> it just, it's not. <laughs> okay, uh, where do I, where do I even start with this movie? First of all, the brothers don't even look like they're related. They, one kid is clearly <laughs> not even white. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like... That didn't stop other instances of this, like in Home Improvement, the Tim Allen sitcom. How did two brunette parents have three blonde children? This is a question <laughs> that has been haunting cinema goers for years. Um, that's an easy question to answer. The only children in Hollywood are blonde. <laughs> non-blonde children in Hollywood simply don't exist. If you're it's a true. non-blonde children and you're from Hollywood... At me, you're not really non-blonde. I dare you. you if, they, if they only had another blonde child in that series, they would have four non-blondes. The alternative music group from the '90s. I would rather listen to What's Up on repeat. Actually, I would rather listen to What's Up on repeat because What's Up is a great song. Than watch this movie one more time. <laughs> I have unironically watched this movie at least seven times in my lifetime, four times over the previous week, and three times beforehand. And I have to say, this is potentially the most fascinating movie 
that I have ever seen that we have covered on this podcast until we watch the next Jeff London movie. He has a directing style that I can only assume is so far ahead of our understanding of reality that we cannot comprehend it, no matter how hard we try. Are you being graded? Are they making you say this for a grade? I will remind okay. you. Oh, oh, you can I, tell us how you really feel, NATO. I, I heard that as graded, as in, as in somebody was torturing him and forcing to say these things. I will remind you that my Bachelor that of too. Arts degree says moving image arts, so I must look deeper into the films to fully appreciate them, since my Bachelor's of Arts translates to MIA, which can mean moving image arts or missing in action, something my brain might be doing right now. Like the plot of this film is missing in action. To be fair, there is a plot of this film. It is that a family goes to go see their Aunt Vivian, whom I do not like, because she is a horrible gossip slut, and I do not condone that. Um, they go back to where they grew up as a children, and then they fall in love and deal with their own problems until everything comes bursting out of the seams. I did read that off the back of the DVD and summarize it again just now. So technically, yep. there is a plot of this film. And it can all fit on the back of the DVD case. Uh, can Unfor I just say? Unfortunately, I would have more insight into this film to be honest with you since i do own the dvd but since my dvd does not work i could not listen to the commentary with writer director jeff london and or see the original opening of this film <laughs> i really feel as though we would be we have to really think about the symbolism that is in this film and how it's being used to convey messages because, in essence, that is what film is in a nutshell, using the homages to give us messages. <laughs> so let's take one of the most iconic lines, the one that is found on the I Am Debe page. Uh, Life just isn't easy for two homo boys, is it? Oh yeah, so full of meaning. <laughs> I think it truly spoke to me, you know. I think on some level. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. What do you think, Nato? I think on some level. <laughs> True words have never been spoken. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we have. It's both. the only quote. It's the only quote on the IMDb page, so it's the only important part of the movie. That's true. It's true. <clears throat> oh man. <laughs> oh, it doesn't that just encapsulate the whole queer experience in like a nutshell? It truly I, does. I think there's some important messages in this film for people to pick up on, though. I really do believe that. Um, I, I think if I had to choose a favorite massage from 
the film. It would be in the form of the swimming song, where Soth metaphorically and forically removes the layers of doubt from Davod, so he might enjoy life, something he himself is trying to do despite the weight upon his soul, having two parents that do not understand his homosexuality, and also force him to go undergo electroshock therapy. Uh, they jump into the ocean that symbolizes uncertainty as they take their first steps towards what George Michael once sang about freedom. It's a scene where two boys take off all their clothes and jump in the ocean. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> a, a massage for the ages. Yeah, I'm sure it's so deep. This was the ocean. The ocean is so deep, yo. You know, this movie truly was very deep. Uh, another, another very deep scene I remember was um, when Tommy and uh, I can't remember the father's name. Uh, Brian. Yeah, when uh, Tommy and Brian were uh, were sitting on the couch on the sofa, uh, they were they were drinking. Uh, a vino, you know, as they say, <laughs> and uh... <laughs> no. and uh, and and uh, they turn to each other, and Tommy says, "Why are we even here, man? Like that that scene just spoke to me, uh, truly on a spiritual level. I think, it's particularly while I was, in fact." watching this movie i too often felt why why am i even here right now <laughs> many I, many times <laughs> that's a thought that i've had at many a party in college <laughs> this actually brings up a very good point something that i i've thought about I, I i picked up on it the third time i saw this film and i've kind of thought to myself every time since do, do you think that brian and tommy have done it <laughs> oh, I did. I did get some. Uh, There's a lot of sexual. Severe, there is. There isn't is. There, yes. Isn't there just? There's just so much. You, you almost get the feeling as though they are envious of their, respectively, <laughs> Brian's son and Tommy's brother and their relationship oh. together. You almost get the feeling that they wish they were together. There's a line that Brian says that he is actually jealous of. Tommy and his relationship with his now dead wife, who uh, was brought up quite a few times, just in case you missed it. Um, about... Just so you know that they're totally straight. Yes, but also, <laughs> who is he jealous of? Is he jealous of the the wife getting to be with him, or him being with the wife? It is a question that lingers and is not answered quite geniusly by Mister London. Perhaps there might be a sequel in the works. Uh, I can, oh, God, I hope not. I can actually say, <laughs> sadly, there is no sequel to this movie. Um, but there are six other movies currently in his filmography, which we will review every year from now on and have a deep critical thinking of. Oh, no. Every year. Every yes. year. Every year. Jeff London week. I can't wait till we get to his autobiographical film, Best Day Ever. 
Oh my god. Best year ever is the year that there was no Jeff London week. <laughs> Hush your tongue, sir. <laughs> we do not speak ill of Jeff London in this house. <laughs> oh boy. Oh Let's no. see what other movies has this man done. <laughs> there is the last year. Uh, regarding Billy, uh, the when Darkness Falls, which is actually a double feature, um, Arizona Sky, A Warm Wind, and Best Day Ever, which is, again, his autobiographical film. Jeff London was also working on uh, Pizza Boy Massacre, I believe. Uh, let me get the exact name of that one. Okay, that actually sounds like a movie that I really want to watch. Fortunately, <laughs> it looks like that one is scrapped. Aw. Yes, it is no. called Pizza Boy Massacre. Um, but it unfortunately has not made any leeway. Yes, it is also said that Jeff London is currently making his second holiday film, his first one being regarding Billy. So hopefully we will get to see a second holiday movie since we did not see jo- uh, John Waters' uh, fruitcake ever come to fruition. Why are there so few queer holiday movies? Don't queer people enjoy the holidays as well? I think that was like the big thing last uh, last holidays, wasn't it? Is it not a gay old time for everybody? Uh, you shush. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you can even if you don't like this movie, uh, I think you can definitively say that this movie feels like someone's first film. And luckily, yes. we get to see Jeff London as a filmmaker grow, work on his flaws from this movie onward, and get to experience where he ends up. And I think that is a journey that is worth having. I agree. Because if, if, <clears throat> if Jeff London as a filmmaker can't grow and change and make better his own flaws then i would just be torturing you for seven years and keeping this podcast going for a minimum of seven years just to do that and does that sound like something i would do Mm, probably Uh, yeah actually (laughs) (laughs) oh man oh for our sake and for Jeff London's sake, I hope they get better with time. <laughs> we'll find out next, y'all. <laughs> oh, God. Well, <clears throat> is there anything else that you two would like to add to this discussion today? Not really. I think you covered it all, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got in deep there. <laughs> Well, <laughs> really, really explored every angle. <laughs> All the angles of this movie I have thought about in restless nights. Well, I think it's time to give our final thoughts on this masterpiece of art by queer auteur filmmaker Jeffrey Montgomery London. Amelia, how did this film wow you? You know, um, there were this this piece of cinematic history was just very uh inspiring you know 
um, it, 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 it had so much meaning and it was uh, such a beautifully shot film, you know, like a painting on a, on a camera or something. And, um, you know, I think it's just, it's too good, too good for our audience to, uh, to actually watch and, and truly grasp and understand, you know? So I would not recommend it. Uh, <laughs> Ro, is uh, Jeff London Week going to be your new favorite yearly tradition? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, let me just say this. Audience, I watched this movie so you didn't have to. You're welcome. <laughs> Jeff London, if you think my opinion is trash, fucking at me, bro. <laughs> and where may we at you? <laughs> my personal address. Come fight me. <laughs> I, of course, being an art student with a bachelor's degree in moving image arts, that's what it says on my degree, again, uh, highly suggest that you watch this one-of-a-kind uh, film by possibly the most human thinker in all of queer cinema. So, until next time, remember that Jeff London has made more movies than any of us on this podcast, and therefore is more successful than any of us shall be. Anyway, that's what we think, but if you've seen this movie, or end up watching it later, we'd love to hear your thoughts and your experience with us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Gay Echo Pod. that's G-A-Y-E-C-A-P-O-D. While you're there, why not suggest a movie for us to watch in the future? We're always looking for suggestions. We can't wait to experience more movies with you. We'll see you next year for film two of seven in the Jeff Londonography. Later. <laughs> Don't do it. It's a trap. Don't do it. <laughs> I would I would say don't listen to them. They're just jealous. <laughs> I'm not jealous. It's a trap. Don't do it. <laughs>